Wired into technology transformation, this is the Digital Bulletin Podcast. Hello, listener. Thank you for once again tuning in to the Digital Bulletin Podcast. This is episode number 11, and joining me as ever, we have from a thoroughly relaxing week off, Digital Bulletin CEO, Romilly Broad. Hello, <laughs> Romilly. very much. Hello. And the man behind the words, it's Content Director, James Henderson. Good morning. How are we doing, chaps? Rom, you're going to tell us now that you're glad to be back at work, aren't you? Yes, because there's no such thing as a proper break at the moment, is there? What you do is you just stop doing one routine and replace it with another, especially if you've got two kids, you know, who are also <laughs> landlocked, as it were, in terms of not being able to go anywhere. But, you know, it's nice, I suppose. Nice and sunny. Can't complain. Well, now you've escaped to the sanctuary of your office. James, how are you doing? You've escaped a dentist appointment today? I have. I was I was really pleased to actually get the call off them. They said they were, were going to have to move it forward a couple of weeks to kick that can down the road. <laughs> no, no, one, no one likes it, do they? You know, I've got, And it was a checkup, and I, I still didn't want to go, to be honest. So I was quite pleased. I, I still don't understand how socially distanced dentistry works, but there we go. Um, lots of gloves. Stuff, I imagine. <laughs> it's the one thing you could think of that you probably don't want to do if if your requirement is to avoid you know breathing stuff in right i mean it's it's a very intimate thing dentistry well uncomfortably yeah. intimate yeah. Might say. But, yeah i don't envy dentists it must be quite difficult for them Absolutely. Well, we've got a lot to get our teeth stuck into hey. today, hey. and I didn't even write that one, so that's that's <laughs> ad-lib. Um, on today's pod, we are going to get stuck into the US Department of Justice's thorough examination of Silicon Valley and what it all means and might mean. Plus, we have an exclusive interview with Shuki Alikt, the Chief Innovation Officer of fintech giant Finastra. But first, here's some news. Here's a breakdown for you of some of the biggest stories we've covered in the past few weeks. And let's start with some jostling for publicity in the semiconductor arena. Just this week, IBM took the covers off its most powerful ever data processing chip. That came a few days after Intel on Intel Architecture Day. It's like Christmas Day for chip engineers that revealed its own chip that promised a 20% increase in performance. Now we've seen IBM, Intel and AMD talk the talk in recent weeks as competition in that industry hots up. Now, TikTok is one company that has also been in the headlines for a number of reasons, not least around a prospective part buyout from Microsoft and indeed Oracle, and I saw in the news today. We told you how it has also invested $200 million in its first European data center. Unsurprisingly, it's going to be in Ireland. I'm surprised they um, still got enough data center plots out there. But... Never mind, they must have. Um, We've also seen Google pay $450 million for home security firm ADT. We know smart homes are a big battleground for Google and its rivals, so that was a fairly significant move. And elsewhere, Liberty Global has completed the expensive buyout of Sunrise. Amazon has made its move in the quantum computing space. And NVIDIA is lining up at the acquisition of ARM. Now, as usual, listener, you can discover the original reporting on these stories and many more via the bulletin on digitalbulletin.com. But now, as I said, we're going to turn our focus to Silicon Valley and the ongoing antitrust inquiry into big tech. 
As you're most likely aware, we had some good old-fashioned political theatre at the end of July when Jeff Bezos, Tim Cook, Sundar Pichai and Mark Zuckerberg all gave evidence to Congress as part of a Department of Justice investigation into alleged monopolistic practices. Let me just say at this point, we are awaiting the DOJ's reports from this far-reaching inquiry and, and nobody at this point is really any the wiser as to what will eventually happen here. But James, first up, what, what did you make of the hearing? It was It was quite surreal, wasn't it really? It, it was quite surreal, and being the the geek I am, I did watch the. I didn't watch the whole six and a half hours. I just want to put that out there right now. <laughs> uh, but I said I did watch the sort of uh, opening comments, and they they each had sort of five minutes to make their opening statements and tell tell the house how innocent they all were, and how, you know what massive contributions all the company had made to the United States, and how they weren't anti-competitive in any ways whatsoever um i watched it was it was really odd and the main reason i watched it actually was because it was so odd because these guys are people that you hear from them when they want to be heard from you know when they do their keynote addresses in front of sort of whooping audiences in in pre-covid times and stuff like that everything they do is very stage managed um, and you could tell from all their faces that was like the last place they wanted to be. So to see these 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 ultra uh, wealthy um, guys with, who have sort of all this power and all this stroke having to sit there and uh, and be grilled, I thought was it was it's pretty funny actually. <laughs> you know, it was it was it was good to see them be made to feel slightly uncomfortable. I thought um, it was certainly one of those one of those sort of occasions where. It, it felt really good for TV, didn't it? It was like a almost like a oh a, yeah a, a fictional um, drama that you might find on Netflix or something. Yeah, to, to, to get to get them all on the same sort of small screen was just so odd. You know, they're all sat there. All, you know, some of the most powerful men in the world have sort of been summoned there, like naughty schoolboys. You know, waiting their turn to to have their say. I thought it was quite funny. Yeah, did you think the virtual element helped or hindered them in getting their points across ultimately? I think it helped them because they were able to. Uh, fin- you know, finesse a lot of what they said without people jumping in. Obviously, they had five minutes um, where they could sort of control what they were saying. Uh, and the, the nature of I've seen, you know, I think Zuckerberg's been in Congress before, hasn't he? And there's a, there's a lot of if you got Twitter or whatever, him sort of being grilled by them, and they're able to sort of jump in. They weren't able to really do that with with this setup. So I do think I do think it helped, and they were able to to sort of form the narrative how they wanted it i thought certainly in, in the bits that i saw anyway i know that sort of later they were they were grilled a bit more over um over over certain emails and, and things that they'd, they'd sent before but i certainly thought in the opening statements and how they wanted to position themselves thought the formats suited the the execs rather than than the uh, the representatives yeah rom do you have any thoughts on the on the concept well i it was it was very interesting uh, from the theatre point of view, right? And uh, American politics has always got a way of being interesting from a theatrical perspective, right? Where you have to try and almost consciously pass the content and the intent of the, you know, the event itself and what, you know, what the outcome is and the reasons for it happening from the theatre, which is, uh, especially at the moment, um, just couched in all of this kind of crazy bipolar stuff that's going on, not just in the US, obviously, but but everywhere. Um, where there's, especially, you know, right now in the run-up to an election, it's tempting to to look at that, all of that, and go, well, this is all just part of some kind of political ploy uh, to generate headlines in favour of one 
side or another, etc. And but actually, I thought uh, I thought it was quite um, revealing in the sense that once you dig under all of that nonsense, you you do find an important issue. Um, and I thought actually the it, it was my impression was that that was quite well done in a sense that that it, you, there weren't too many examples of politicians kind of um, ruining themselves by exposing their kind of um, uh, their their naivety about technology, for example, they were quite well prepared, um, and so you know the outcome is going to be quite interesting from that perspective because it's it should be it's going to take years, obviously, but it should be a very important outcome. You would think. Mm. Yeah, just one thing to pick up on that Rom said there that definitely came across, which was when they've done these sorts of things before. And again, I come back to Zuckerberg when he's been in front of Congress or these. Uh, these committees before he's been able to bat away the 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 tamest and most uninformed of questions you've you've ever heard actually completely unprepared there there was definitely a step change this time it definitely seemed more serious and these 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 guys most of them anyway uh, when we didn't have republicans sort of wasting time making accusations of uh, left-wing bias in 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 their companies (laughs) actually most of them were really quite well briefed and were able to to if not land like a, a knockout blow, certainly a, a few nasty jabs, definitely. Yeah, well, each of them had their kind of allotted slots, didn't they? And they had a, 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 a like a time counter ticking down on their slots, so they could um, they had they had to be they had to have brevity in, in their questioning. But you're, you're right; I think each congressperson really had um, a, a kind of weight of evidence that they'd brought with them and examples of because what we have to remember is that this hearing is the was the final act really in a, a months long investigation um which is which is which is you know investigated these companies in in a in, in finite detail mm. and i think um yeah so it, it, it really did put them under pressure rom obviously this happened um, a few weeks ago now um yeah. we're, st- we're still awaiting the report ultimately on what on what the outcomes are going to be where do you think this is going to go? Oh, God, like who who Ooh. knows, right? I mean, yeah. we've we've already touched on a few of the different aspects of all of this. So you've got you've got the the, the stuff that James was talking about in terms of, um, particularly from a social media point of view, and particularly when it's uh, Facebook, for example, where they're being accused of bias um, in terms of the content that they host and how they treat it. That's that's just one aspect of all of this. It's an antitrust investigation in the end, which is, um, you know, f- fundamentally antitrust rules exist to um, prevent people, uh, companies becoming monopolies and aggregating for themselves way too much power. Um, it's a democratic thing. The, the principle is, look, if you don't have these rules in place, then it works against democracy because you essentially create kings and they're unaccountable and all that sort of stuff. So you need to protect um, the people against that sort of stuff. Um, so when you're looking at, at content and political bias and all that sort of stuff, it's a talking point rather than a, a, an important uh, matter. I'm not saying it's unimportant, but what this is really about is antitrust. And now you look at, you know, that report might come out and say any number of things, um, but it will happen in uh, in alignment, you would think, with, for example, what's going on in Europe, where just, uh, I think it was February, March, um, the, the EU um, announced its own uh, uh, proposals around how it's going to regulate um, the same companies fundamentally to, to ensure fairness. And, 
um, protect people's data and all the rest of it. There's a slew of different things, but when you get right down to the bottom of it, it's about it's a question of saying, well, are these companies acting um, in an anti-competitive way? And certainly, the the politicians involved had their evidence. They said, look, look, you're snapping up all of these startups and preventing them from competing with you. You're doing this, that, and the other. You own all of the infrastructure. How can anyone possibly be compete on this? Amazon, you're you're you know you're treating the the sellers on your on your platform poorly, you know, and there's plenty of evidence for all of that sort of stuff. But in the end, what these companies have done is create ecosystems. They um, are they they are the market in in a lot of respects. So how do you actually how do you actually regulate that? Also, who is going to compete with them? The the amount of investment and time that's gone into building those marketplaces. Um, should be rewarded, right? They've 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 built that. Um, what do you do? Just take it off them? You can't just do that. So it's an incredibly thorny and difficult problem. And for that reason, I've got no idea what the report's going to say. But uh, when you look at that, and when you look at what's going on in Europe, Europe is a, a regulatory kind of trailblazer, really. If you think about it, they tend to often set the um, the agenda when it comes to this if you look at things like data privacy gdpr etc um in maybe one or two years time we'll start to see how this um how this shapes out but frankly who, who knows well that's it isn't it i was going to make the point that the reason this is so complex is because as you said rom these companies are the founding fathers of this industry they <laughs> they are so ingrained in it and really um legislators have no kind of legacy to fall back on or, or no kind of um like precedent with this and James, you know, and you know, America's economy is built on kind of competition and, you know, the, the free market and all of that. Mm -hmm. There's, there is a contradiction there, isn't there? Yeah. And I think, I think a few of them made that point. I think Mark Zuckerberg made that point as well. He was like, you know, look at the, the wealth generation we've created for this country and the jobs and, you know, the, the boost to, you know, many areas where, where Facebook is located. So it's a really, really tough one. I think that, if I was a betting man, which honestly I'm not, I would say that Facebook probably has the most to worry about. Um, it, 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 you know, Mark Zuckerberg, he got, a, he got, he did get a bit of a hammering, and he was caught out a little bit in terms of their acquisition of Instagram, where where there are emails which quite clearly show that they considered it to be at least an upcoming threat, and and that's why they bought it. It was as simple as that. It was to sort of neutralise an up and coming threat. And I think, you know, Mark Zuckerberg said that, you know, there were there were plenty of similar platforms at the time, which, you know, looks like they would go on to be big platforms, which have fallen by the wayside. And one of the reasons that Instagram hasn't is because of Facebook and the investment he's put in. But I, I thought he came out of it out of it worse. But you but, but you're right. Even what what appetite will there be from legislators and, and the US government to like to properly go after these companies? which create so much wealth for the country and create so many jobs and, you know, have, have sort of made it one of one of the, if not the sort of epicenter for sort of global technology development. What is there going to be the appetite, especially when you have, you know, Chinese companies like ZTE and Huawei ready to, you know, come in and maybe snap up some of that, some of that ground if it's lost. And, and also if you want to break up these companies, who are you going to break them up to? Who's going to come in and pay fair prices for these? So they've got, I, I understand why they've done it, and I think from 
from purely, obviously, these are not the opinions of bulletin media, but from, <laughs> from my point of view, clearly they have broken some anti-competition laws. And I think the anti-competition laws are sound. I just don't think that they've been implemented properly. I think they've yeah. been, you know, they've been, been, you know, allowed to, to be trampled over a little bit. But all that being said, it's sort of a bit like, well, so what? What are you actually going to do about it? Like, what really? Yeah. How are you going to hurt these guys? One, I think one of the important things is ultimately the court of public opinion is, well, um, do we, the public, um, you know, loathe and detest these companies for, for controlling all this sort of stuff? Well, no, no, we, don't. no, we all use no. their products because they're good. And we're happy that, generally speaking, we're happy that they created all of this and we benefit from these ecosystems. I think in the end, it's probably going to come down to the question of what is an appropriate um, behavior for a gatekeeper to to have so now they've built these uh, ecosystems um, what is the the fairest way for them to behave in terms of being the gatekeeper to access those things and so that in the end might actually come down to uh, the court cases that are currently underway I mean one thing that's just uh, kicking off as we're talking is the Apple versus Epic Games um, thing with Fortnite that you may or may not have read about but Fortnite, obviously one of the uh, the biggest and most popular video games in the world, um, uh, is very popular on Apple devices, of course. And um, Epic decided, well, no, we don't want to give 30% of every payment that's made to us through um, an Apple platform straight to Apple just because they own the, uh, the marketplace. Um, changed the game so that people could pay directly and Apple promptly kicked Fortnite off the platform and have gone a step further and said, well, we're also going to remove your developer tools from um, from our platform, which is a much bigger deal because Epic ha uh, has something called the Unreal Engine. And Unreal Engine is used by millions of developers to make games. I mean, it's one of the bedrock pieces of software for the video games industry and increasingly the film industry, right? So suddenly you're taking out this um it's a i mean and actually epics maybe got some questions to answer as well about how it leverages its own ecosystem i.e unreal engine <laughs> but anyway this is going to court now because what uh, epic are saying is look you can't just exercise your power in that way and and you're not just harming us you're harming all of our own ecosystem of developers that use our tools etc etc um this is clearly and in Epic's view, this is clearly anti-competitive behavior and you should stop. Ultimately, it might be court cases like that 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 answer some of these questions rather than, you know, directly via Congress or, or whatever. It and is very murky. And it's, it's, yeah, you're right. It's not going to be one inquiry that, that ultimately solves all. It's going to be years and years of, of inquiries and court cases and, oh, yeah. and yeah. out of court settlements and all, all those kind of things as well. Um, yeah, James. Even if even if the outcome of this ends up being you know fairly inconsequential in the short term, one positive is that this process has really shone a light on some fairly you know questionable goings on at some of these big companies. I'm thinking of um, Sundar Pichai when he was questioned and, and evidence was brought to him of Google um, promoting its own products through its search engine, and he really didn't have any answer to that question when it was put to him, and oh. he he just said, you know, we'll we'll go away and, and look into it, which is you know the ultimate politician's response, I think. Yeah, I think um, Bezos got caught doing that as well. There was yeah something to do with how you know Amazon uses this algorithm um, to sort of define 
successful uh, products and and <laughs> has stood accused of using that data to boost its own Amazon Basics range, you know, like USB cables and stuff like that. I think he was hit with that, and he sort of said, uh, "I'll look into it." So yeah, I think that I think that it it, it definitely does. But the, the one the one thing that I I still can't or, or that I think goes against them is a the point that Ron brought up that as consumers we use all of these products without really moaning too much. Like you know, he, 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 I, you know, I, I wish I used Amazon less, but I don't because it's convenient and it comes to my door and stuff like that. So there might be pol- politically whether you know the will to sort of disrupt these guys a little bit and make them think about their own behaviors but i think ultimately there probably isn't the or at least i can't see like a, a public outcry a public movement towards you know wanting to break these companies up or really get them to change their behaviors and ultimately the, the you know the public's the one who put in the, the pounds and pence or dollars and cents in their pockets all the time so i'm not entirely convinced there's a huge motive for them to change that much and I don't. I'm not sure either. There's the political will to make them either. So I, I remain pretty unconvinced, if I'm honest, about how much change we're going to see out of this. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm, maybe I'm being cynical, which I often am. But what's but, your, what, Ron? What's your yeah. opinion on um, on on that public perception point? Do Do you feel um, that? people you know what do you think people's views are of these individuals and of these companies? And is are we slowly moving towards, you know? people wanting them to behave more ethically because I I, I I disagree with James to a sense I do think more and more people are kind of aware of, of this and I think this inquiry has certainly shone a light on it as I said um, and you know we can kind of link this back to the tech for good platform that we've just launched and, the, and these companies doing things for a good purpose and in, in a good way do you, it feels to me that there is there is kind of a, a I don't want to call it a movement but a, an awareness about about them but obviously get, get, getting it to a point where there's enough of a, a movement to change things radically. Um, I think we're quite some way from that, but I think in public public awareness is there, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's a, there's a few issues in terms of essentially their their brand. Um, they're they're under threat, particularly Facebook, and that's because Facebook is um, obviously built its entire business on leveraging um, the data of its customers, and people are now very aware. Of that, um, I personally, for example, don't really use Facebook anymore. Um, simply because of because of that, it's not really a principled position. It's just like, well, I'm, I'm not really into that anymore. Uh, it's true to a degree across all of them, of course. That is something that they need to work on. How do you? And this is actually that's in particular that's where the EU is looking at from its position, from a regulatory point of view. Um, how can we, the public, our, or as individuals, trust these companies? And so what are the rules that can go in place to make sure that they are dealing with with data, personal data, appropriately? So that that's one side of it. The other thing is, well, what does it mean to be a Google or an Amazon and, and to, to behave responsibly? You can look at all of them and find tons of examples of them doing extraordinarily good things. Just recently, even from our own perspective, uh, because we have conversations with lots of people, we were able to connect um, an organization in Europe that's focused on um, diversity and encouraging women into technology. We were able to connect them with Google uh, so that they could get a whole bunch of, uh, they could leverage a Google program that 
it enables NGOs like them to access a whole bunch of Google things for free, or at least with heavily heavy discounts and stuff. So we even we are playing a role in in helping Google to exercise some of its its things that it's doing clearly from a um, you know a, from a benevolent position, right? So there's plenty of st things that they're doing, but overall, is the way that they're operating their business um, in the public, in the interest of the public good. And that's ultimately what things like the hearing in, in Congress are about. It comes right back to that whole, well, what is, what is antitrust and why does it matter? And if you look at it in that macro sense, it's, well, it exists to stop wealth pouring itself into smaller and smaller and smaller numbers of people's hands and so um because with concentrated power comes concentrated wealth and and growth and a growing inequality if you like um now i would say that that's a big part of what is bubbling under in terms of public perception you can see that everywhere the divisiveness everywhere the politics of everything in the end it all comes down to that um that uh, a perceived sense of unfairness and, and inequality and the big tech has got a big role to play in that because they are um, right in the middle of all, all of that and the people that are running those companies are are the ones that are you know consuming this vast amounts of wealth now the point is should you know you don't want to take that off them unfairly but you do need to try and figure out how do the the platforms and the systems and the infrastructure that infrastructures that these companies control be more evenly accessed so that you don't end up with with this just be becoming a, an increasingly big problem um so yeah it, unless that is solved either by regular uh, regulators or by the companies themselves public opinion will continue to shift not necessarily in a particularly articulate way or or a well or a you know in a coherent way because I'm not sure anyone really fully understands how all of this kind of comes together, but um, they will increasingly be blamed for, for you know, society's ills, if you like. Um, yeah. So the, the, it's it's a really big topic and one that they should be focused on, you'd think. Yeah. It was interesting to me that Satya Nadella, Microsoft CEO, wasn't involved in this process. I bet he was sitting at home and licking his lips at the prospect. I did wonder. <laughs> yeah. Why was why was um Twitter not included as well? That for that for me seemed ridiculous. Yeah, I mean I don't, I don't know the reasons why those two companies and maybe a few more who who probably deserve to be put under a bit of scrutiny weren't weren't ultimately. Um James, I'm going to put it to you like we talk about these companies and obviously we know they've been around for a while let's let's mm. sort of throw, throw it forward five years and have a crazy prediction about you know will, uh -huh. we still be will we still be talking about the same individuals and the same companies in five years do you think we uh, we know facebook for example is facebook is under facebook kind of is, existential crisis really yeah facebook is getting old really when you yeah. consider like <laughs> in, but, but i'm serious if you look at like the top tech top 10 like technology companies 10 years ago 15 years ago compared to now there's you know you've got some of the old guard led by facebook i think they've built up such a, a degree of wealth and influence that we probably will and might be being naive. i think facebook will be a different company i think it's 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 you know sort of the original social media right but i think that the way it's gone and i do think that the scrutiny that will come out of this i think if any of them are going to end up go into like a a proper trial i do think it'll be facebook over this but because i do think there's 
quite clear evidence of like anti-competition rule uh you know anti-competition um practices yeah pra- yeah practices thanks yeah. For that. um i think that, that 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 probably came out the close so do you think there, there will be changes to that i think that clearly i think that the whether or not Donald Trump gets in will will determine whether or not Amazon and certainly Jeff Bezos is exactly the same company because obviously that is a long running beef and I do think that that that, that if if Trump happens to get in I do think Amazon will will change slightly and I do think that it has questions to answer over its algorithm and how it treats third party sellers on its website I definitely think that I think Apple Google and Microsoft I'm I'm, I'm not sure I don't I don't think I don't think there's going to be a huge amount of change with those three. If I, that's clearly obviously just a, you would, some would argue a pretty uninformed prediction. Um, but yeah. That's sort of my feelings on it. One thing that doesn't really come up very often, but we cover a lot is, is cloud and infrastructure and how a handful mm. of those companies, <laughs> their, their revenues are certainly growing at an incredible rate in that area. And I think if anything allows them to sort of wield power, it's owning the computing infrastructures of pretty much every company on the planet. Um, thinking AWS and and Azure yeah. in particular. And, and, here. And, and how do you and how do you break that up? Is there a will to break those up as well? Yeah. We just looking at the consumer arms. You know, the, the, most people on the street probably think of Amazon as being Amazon. You know, the marketplace where you you know buy cheap stuff from. They probably don't consider AWS, which is running like half of the world's industry on on its cloud. So. Yeah. There's more to it than, than meets the eye, as always. Yeah. be interesting to see what the, the first major fall from grace, though, and which one of those those men who were put under the scrutiny a few weeks ago, which one will be the first to fall, whether it's in within a year or five years or, or never. Who knows? Um, <laughs> well, listener, it's time to move on, but keep your eyes peeled for the report, of course, and whether things might change for good in Silicon Valley. I'm sure we'll be covering it fully on Digital Bulletin and Tech for Good. As for this podcast, we'll be back after this. Find us as Digital Bulletin on LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram and at digi underscore bulletin on Twitter. For our interview section this month, I had the pleasure of speaking with Shuki Licht, Chief Innovation Officer for Finastra. Now, Finastra is the self-titled third biggest fintech company in the world and delivers a host of clever products and services to banking clients globally. In our interview, Shuki and I discussed the struggles of some challenger banks during the coronavirus pandemic, a couple of exciting projects ongoing at Finastra, and the future of open finance. But my first question was to ask Shuki what impact he believes COVID-19 has had on the fintech landscape at large. So, so, so first of all, you know, the COVID has uh, created a worldwide uh, humanitarian and economic crisis. It's, it's a big crisis. You know, the, the impact of the crisis is uh, is the impact everyone, you know, if you're a small business or you're a, a corporate business. And, and of course, fintechs uh, can't ignore this, this situation. Uh, on the other side, you know, if you are looking for opportunities to fintechs and we see fintechs that are succeed very well to grow in, in this crisis, is a, is a fintechs that are focusing mostly on the digital channels. You know, everything is moving to be digital. Everything is digital. And fintechs that uh, succeed to accelerate, you know, depends on the digital banking. Um, have a high chance to, to survive and, and uh, succeed. You know, some, some example of fintechs that we are working these days is the things around, you know, how you engage with the customers, like, uh, you know, video um, uh, telling and video um, communication, you know, live chat. You know, using chatbot, etc. Things around cashless, you know, cardless, 
uh, are you uh, accelerate uh, account opening and everything around customer onboarding. So I think a fintech that will go more and more and, and focus on this area of digital uh, have a high chance to survive and, and grow in these days. We've seen certainly over here in Europe a couple of examples of, of challenger banks, um, digital only banks coming under threat because of the pandemic. Why do you think that is? And do you think that's signs of kind of a, a longer trend or what are your thoughts on that? So it's, it's a good question. At Finesse, we never think of, you know, of uh, the Financial Institute as a, a different or try to distinguish between uh, each, each one of them. Uh, with the right technology, uh, there can be a uh, lot of uh, opportunities for us as a Finasa uh, to partners with each one of them. Um, uh, you know, um, uh, Challengers Bank have the um, um, advantage compared to the traditional bank from or traditional financial services, especially as I mentioned around digital channels. Uh, if we are going to more areas like risk management or supporting corporate and, and small enterprise banking, I think the financial, the traditional financial services have much more strengths uh, compared to um, um, the challenges bank. Um, and, and in these days, we start to see the balance between them. We see that uh, um, uh, banks that are more focusing on the digital channels have the advantage for the consumers how to support them in uh, 24 by 7 uh, compared to the traditional financial services that are, uh, are helping to with the needs for corporate banking and SME. Let's talk a bit more about Finastra and how Finastra has dealt with the realities of a pandemic. What ha, has it kind of changed the company's like ambitions or timelines or anything like that, or or have you kind of been able to carry on and on the same kind of track that you were before? Yeah. So, so first of all, you know, we 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 have been working remotely, uh, like everyone else, and the pandemic, you know, has forced banks and corporate to to relook to new reality. Uh, of business and work uh, at Finastra, we decided to uh, to use these uh, challenges and make them an opportunity. And we are focusing on on five areas. And the first one is the digital channels. Uh, the second one is how we are uh, going and fold and support you know corporate and small enterprise uh, uh, customer for the banking. This is as you imagine are the the most impact by by this co uh, this COVID nineteen. The third one is to accelerate our, our journey to the cloud. You know, um, uh, we, we see more, uh, we see lower resistance uh, for us to accelerate uh, and migrate, you know, customers and, uh, and a solution to the cloud. Uh, the, third, the fourth one is, of course, and everything around uh, data. Uh, we are massively increase our solution, you know, for things around uh, KYC, risk, next best product, and et cetera. And then the last one is, is everything around risk management. And, and we have a very good uh, solution in the portfolio that's supporting. And, and we, we are just changing the, the portfolio just to make sure that we are supporting this risk management in, in these days. Uh, just, just to uh, mention one product that we are uh, focused or been, um, uh, we announced in May uh, is, is what we call the, you know, the, the paycheck protection program. So uh, in May, we announced that, that Finasta is helping, you know, processing more than almost 100,000 I'm sorry, paycheck protection program uh, launched to date. Uh, we are supporting, you know, the community-focused banks and credit unions uh, as they provide a critical uh, financial assistance uh, for small business impact by the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, on one end, you know, we are 
we, we, we see these challenges as opportunity, and I mentioned the, the five uh, pillars that we are focused now, and the other side, you know, how we can uh, be good to others and helping uh, with, uh, with example with the PPP. Yeah, it's, it's good to hear that you're still moving along with with product development in the middle of the pandemic. You know, that's that's really in, encouraging. Um, Shuki, you, you mentioned before that fintechs, obviously being digital native, really, really like there is opportunity. Do you think innovation is even more critical now in, in this in this kind of situation than, than maybe it even was before? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, um, we see that, you know, and, and I mentioned that uh, um, um, from 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 digital channel, you know everything is digital, digital, uh, digital. You know the um, the situation that uh, all the your engagement with the customer been before is based on um, you know physical environment. We don't see that anymore, and we are getting more and more requirement to to engagement. So so from fintech perspective, you know we are still believe that you know this is the place that they need to uh, to focus on. Um, you know from from risk management, you know banks will take fewer risks across the board uh, you know they have a constraint of budget um, uh, smaller banks will need you know border risk scenario for planning capital and to be more resilience uh, liquidity risk scenario and etc and you know areas like you know stress tests and etc and we are using you know we are using the diffusion um, fiber the cloud the platform to be our yeah, our engine or our our, our um, open ecosystem uh, to help us to bring this new capability by fintechs uh, to the market as, as soon as we can uh, and we we brought something uh, some some new capability in the last month um as as innovation lead for finastra i'm sure part of your remit is to look even further forward and and look at the the the, the big kind of trends and and things that are going to even further disrupt kind of the industry that you work in first of all shuki what, what are the most exciting projects for you that you're working on right now Oh, there's a, there's a, so many, um, but but I think uh, two two projects that I want to mention that uh, that the team works in in the last um, uh, last months. The, the first one, as I mentioned, is is how fast we react with uh, the paycheck uh, protection program. You know, to to enable uh, the banks, um, especially for minority banks, to to support them and help them to to bring this technology and this uh, solution uh, into the market. It was a, a huge effort by by the teams, and in less than a week, we we launched this solution. As I mentioned, we almost one hundred thousand um, paycheck protection program loans uh, to date running our system. So it's a it's outstanding um, results and outcome. Um, a second project, you know, we just finished a very nice hackathon. Um, we've been participating, and we won uh, the top uh, solution in the hackathon, and and we call it. A, a fin equal and the purpose of this solution is to to identify um, a, a bias for for race and to identify the areas that um, financial services maybe uh, by mistake are giving some bias for people because their race or because their uh, age or because their gender and the system based on machine learning try to identify the visa this bias to send alert to the banks and to be aware that they are ever biased and just to to bring a better and more equal um, um, solution and financial uh, service to to their consumer wow that sounds like a, a pretty innovative and exciting project have you got anything more to say on that i mean obviously that's a very relevant topic right now isn't it around um around biases and technology exactly so and again the team um, succeeded to do it uh, through an 
an event of hackathon. We also published that uh, um, the video so people can uh, see that and uh, and see the opportunity. We already got several uh, customers that are willing to implement there, and we are now looking out to, uh, to you know to go through the compliance just to see that it's uh, have the right business case, and uh, for sure we would like to go forward and. Uh, and productize this solution and make it available to the market. Do you, do you think there will be a lot of appetite for that kind of solution? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. You know, the, 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 all the bias that are happening today in the world, especially around the race, age, uh, gender, and etc., is something that is we see more and more important, especially at these days. And we believe that technology uh, can identify this kind of bias, technology can uh, fix this kind of bias, and also technology can make everyone with, will uh, more equal to each other yeah and and what are the other kind of major trends that you see shuki coming forward on the horizon we know the world of fintech moves so quickly um what, what are the major trends that you believe are going to drive the industry over the next few years yeah so so we we start you know at finastra we start our journey um, and we build we start to put the foundation for the future of uh, you know what we believe that the future of finance is open you know driving by a uh, open api and the platform platformication i'm sorry but in the platform uh, uh, of the banking uh, you know open banking and especially me as a chief innovation officer uh, i found that the platform and open banking you know is a uh, encourage and is the uh, the skeleton the right foundation for for building the right collaboration uh, between uh, financial institutes uh, customers partners uh, fintechs and and to enable the industry to move uh, move much faster you know there is there is a limitation of how much finasta can uh, supply a new solution and to bring the the high demand of customer for new new solution and by using the platform uh, our fusion for the class and by open that uh, we really really succeed to bring a, a new solution um, a new values uh, to the arcs to our customer um with a very uh, a fast time to market and um, and this gives us the opportunity to, to accelerate our innovation journey and to bring a much faster value to our customers okay now that's a really interesting point obviously in, in the technology kind of arena we've seen open source become um something that many technology companies are embracing and, and do you see the kind of the banking and financial industry going the same way with open banking we know it's a concept that's been around for a few years now and and many of the large banks have embraced it but how quickly do you see that trend developing yeah it's it's a good question about um, uh, the open source so first of all you know by by opening the um, the our course so think about what we've done with the with the fusion fabric to cloud it's we massively in the last two years we opened um, our, our all our solution and uh, course uh, today we have almost uh, one other 20 different apis and each api as you re, uh, think about is uh, represent hundreds of different uh, endpoints and we opened everything so everything is open today a uh, fintechs can go or any partners can go to our uh, fusion fiber cloud portal sign sign up and after five minutes you get an access to almost 20 different sandbox that each sandbox represent different product you can go try that build his own solution build his own innovation or integrate his own solution and then bring new solution to the market we have also the concept of a, a fusion store that let a, a, the fintechs to promote a, their solution on the market and then a, a customer in this case the financial services can go 
uh, test this solution, see if this is something that's available, and just you know uh, go and, and and buy that and use it, start to use that. Uh, this is the open we are talk talking about. You know, the, is how you are starting to share, you know, the your interfaces using an API. Uh, in this case, to the fintechs, uh, let them, you know, in very short cycle to build their solution uh, and get an access. Uh, uh, in this case, for almost 8,500 uh, banks that we are serving today. How excited are you, and how professionally kind of fulfilling is it to work for a company like Finastra in an industry we, we know financial services is being turned on its head, and 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 you're working at a company which is kind of driving that. How exciting personally is it for you? So, so first of all, I, I'm excited. I'm I'm at Finastra for for almost two years. I came here by purpose uh, for for three reasons. The first one. You know, the financial services is, is the right place for people that are, are doing innovation. This is the, the place that everything can, is now we see that in front of us um, is disruption. And we I would like to be part of this uh, uh, great uh, place too, that things are changing. Uh, second one, you know, the story of Finastra. You know, we are uh, one of the largest uh, fintechs in the world, you know, serving uh, 8,500 customers all the globe. Uh, and also, you know, the story about the platform, you know, our, our story that we are, you know, I think one of the first, one of the leader uh, of starting to open, as I mentioned, massively uh, our cores, our solution, let the others uh, start to build their solution and, and collaborate with us. Uh, this is uh, the right place for us to, uh, for me uh, to be. That is it, listener. It is time for us to bid you farewell. But before we do, please allow me to point you in the direction of some other stuff. Tech for Good issue two is out now. We lead on Intel and Accenture's efforts to save the coral reef with AI and also investigate different tech applications tackling climate change, enabling digital learning and supporting disaster recovery. It's a really great edition, our second edition of Tech for Good, and, and um, really attractive to look at as well. So some great design work going on there with the coral reef on the front cover. Um, Digital Bulletin issue 19, equally well put together by uh, Mr. Henderson, is also available for you to read right now. As ever, though, a big thank you to the panel. Romley Broad, thank you. No problem. And James Henderson, thank you. Thank you very much. And of course, to you two listener, we'll catch up very soon. was the Digital Bulletin podcast brought to you by Bulletin Media. Listen and subscribe to a range of podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Plug in for news, features and case studies on the very latest in enterprise technology and digital transformation. 